1: Hello and you're very welcome to your politics podcast from RT News. I'm Paul Cunningham. Joining me in studio today is RT's political correspondent, Miholahan. Mihol, Mihal, how goes? Good, good. And we're also uh, joined by the Social Democrats co-leader, um, Catherine Murphy. Um, Catherine, welcome to your politics podcast. Thank you very much.
2: You've heard so much about it.
1: <laughs> I was looking at the television and you were doing maybe an impression of Usain Bolt um, this afternoon trying to get to your speaking slot.
0: Yeah, sometimes, you know, by location is not something that we've, we've cracked. Uh, I was at the Public Accounts Committee and my speaking slot came up on the, the bill in relation to redundancy. So I was trying to get from one to the other and there's several flights of stairs. So I was very out of breath. we yeah. were all yeah. feeling for you there. Just, yeah. We've all yeah. been there, you know,
1: running after it. Um, we were looking uh, yesterday at the um, question of the rise of cost of living and much of it was coming from the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meetings and there was loads of leaks coming out of them. And we don't hear anything from the Social Democrats. Um, parliamentary party meetings at all so I'm wondering is it a case because you're the leader is it akin to um, the business teacher who introduced himself he came in with this um, briefcase and then he took out a big leather and he smashed it down on top of the table and all his 12 year olds were looking at him and then he carried the leather round, sort of nearly aloft um, speaking about what he expected from the pupils and his intentions, without making any reference to what he had in his hand. So I'm just wondering: is that your style of management within the party? Just to keep everyone in line and make sure there's no leaks or anything like that.
0: <laughs> well, that's not the method I can tell you that for for, for sure. And I think our uh, uh, you know our four TDs that were elected in, in in 2016, in addition to Roshan and myself, certainly wouldn't see that as uh, they, they certainly would want to engage and to take us on if we if we tried to uh, uh, rule the rules in that particular way, but you know, we've been talking about uh, the cost of living. In, in you know, I mean, we would have talked about that in the context of our pre budget submission, yes. Um, and that would have we would have expected to see some uh level of inflation, but even at that point, we already had uh, we already had issues. Um, in that we have you know the most expensive housing costs in Europe, we've you know, I think in terms of goods and services, the second most and energy, even before. Uh, the, the big inflationary pressure was the fourth most expensive in Europe. So, you know, um, so we already had an issue in terms of cost of living. And I think this this spike in inflation has, um, you know, it ha- has been more than was predicted at budget time.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and neither are do we, I mean, we were told at that time that this was going to be temporary, it was going to be isolated to energy uh, and we'd already seen significant numbers or number of times uh, you know heating costs and fuel costs have increased in the last year but you're seeing that very much embedding into things like food where people are leaving food back at the checkout people are choosing between heating the home and you know and what they can put on the table and cutting things out Uh, I think
1: we all get that the issue now I think every household is having to look at the the monthly bill and saying, well, what are we going to do about mm-hmm. this? I suppose when it's come to solutions, one of the things that's come from the government side is a suggestion that the policies being put forward by opposition parties um, would mean that we would be chasing inflation and that by, we would effectively be adding fuel to the fire with, you know, for example, increasing wages or something like that, which means you're going to make the problem worse. If you happen to be in Leo Varadkar's uh, ministry and you had the opportunity of being able to take, say, three decisions which you felt was going to happen, have
0: maximum impact. What would they be? I think you'd have to be very targeted. Um, the you know the hundred euro, for example, in terms of uh, each household uh, getting hundred euro off their 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 heating bill. One hundred thirteen, no, I think. Uh, well, one hundred thirty million yeah Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, you know th- there will be households that there was uh, there will be households that don't require that, yeah. but there will be households that require much more than that. And I think you have to be very targeted, for example, in relation to the fuel allowance. I think there could have been much wider uh, broadening of that, for example, the working family payment for people on low incomes who are working, for example. Um, I think the number of weeks um, it was extended, but it could, been, it could have been extended more. Those kind of things are very targeted to particular groups. It could be in Increased as well, um, so I think that that is one uh, particular type of thing that you can do that is very targeted. Um, the uh, like we we said at the time, like there hadn't been an increase, for example, in pensions since since 2019. So. That was a de facto decrease by virtue of the fact it hadn't been increased. Five euros was never going to be enough. This inflationary pressure is um, is is going to um, obviously eat that up and more. Um, so people are actually going to feel considerably worse off. So I think uh, the That's social well, maybe yeah, one more, yeah. Um, social welfare I think, as a general. I, I think the, I think housing is is the big. Item in terms of household budgets, and like if we're starting to look at the under delivery, it's making a sizeable difference. But I think there has to be something done in relation to renters in particular. Um, I, uh, you know, the the rents are unsustainable, um, and I think that you would have to bring in some sort of a uh, a rent freeze that that is, you know, a meaningful rent rent free freeze, um, because like something like. Uh, you know, in Dublin, it's something like $1,900 yeah. uh, for a monthly rent. It's something like the average nationally is about 1300 Um And it is a particular generation that are predominantly uh, affected by it. And when I say young people, I always, often get people onto me saying oh, I'm 40, why are you talking about young people? I actually regard somebody 40 as young. So uh, so <laughs> let me just qualify that as, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as, as what I mean. But there, that is a very significant one. And I think that is a particular cohort that are really in, in, really okay. struggling at the moment. Micheal, there's lots
1: floating around at the moment about the range of possibilities. The government is going to cough up £210 million in relation to this um, energy rebate, but they seem to be looking at the devil and all when it comes to this second tranche of some form of assistance to try and reverse this
2: rise in the cost of living. Yeah, and it still seems to be focused on energy primarily and the Thonis saying that the government party leaders have now agreed and asked their ministers... Uh, to draw up a packet of measures, uh, and package of measures, and that seems that at some point next week they would be revealed. But there certainly when this was looked at the first time, there seemed to have been a reluctance uh, to go down the route where it would become part of the social protection budget because if that were to happen, well, then that would be a recurring payment. And just Catherine, your view on that, do, do you sense that government seem more relaxed if this is seen to be more a one off payment an emergency payment rather than making it part of things like the fuel allowance, as you were talking about.
0: Yeah, but you can even do those things on a temporary basis as well, recognising that there is a, a particular issue this year and hopefully it won't go into next year. But it could easily because we're obviously looking at what's happening on the border of Russia and the U- U- Ukraine and you know you don't know what those kind of geopolitical things, what impact it could have. But yeah, I think they're trying to do the one-off so that they, uh, they then don't appear to be rowing back on, on it next year. The problem is inflation is not isolated to uh, energy and uh, it has certainly been reflected in everything the price for postage st- stamp going through a toll road uh, food prices like what's not coming down you know, the RTE licence yeah. fee yeah. That's, <laughs>
1: that's one thing that hasn't moved <laughs> I can hear the population of Ireland cheering saying damn right Um one thing, hold you were saying that Catherine had been talking about what was it in relation yeah, to Caldera? I heard
2: you at the, the Public Accounts Committee recently talking about the commuter areas and the need for greater coverage of, of, air, of yeah. issues within those areas. What, what are those kinds of things? Something yeah. we see during a general election campaigns a focus on commuter areas but perhaps less so after that.
0: Yeah, like it, I think you saw it in the by-election that I contested and won in 2005. The late Shane McEntee was elected on the same day and there was a particular focus of attention that time and it was a complete shock that childcare was, you know, was one of the top issues um, and there were some changes and I think the ECI year happened as a consequence of that and that obviously has been expanded on so there was something positive came out of, uh, of that but when you start Sorry, looking um, it's the free uh, child preschool year yeah. okay. um, um, the, um. and that's made a sizable difference to education generally so yeah. it was a very good investment but um, for example, when the CSO did a survey of the um, the people who who most favoured uh, the, the the remote working or working from home, the Dublin commuter belt was by far, uh, you know, reflected in that survey as the, as, as that being of the, the area that most wanted it. Um, so it wasn't kind of remote parts of Donegal or Mayo that, that 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 reflected. It was that commuter belt that was people spending very long, uh, uh, you know, amounts of their time in their car uh, or or whatever way they travel uh, commuting, losing out on you know that quality time with family, having time to go for a walk, engage with you know their their community. Very often people feel that they're counted as economic units and that they're only there to commute back and forth, back and forth. But in actual fact, people live their lives very fully in these environments and they want want that to be, uh, you know, reflected in, you know, how they're seen, if you like. It's a younger age cohort as well, um, generally.
2: And do you think the people that were able to work from home or during the pandemic and perhaps didn't have as high a childcare cost as a result, the working out of all that now and the next few months kind of will be crucial on both those fronts, whether it's working from home and childcare costs again? Will they, particularly in, in the area that you represent?
0: Yeah, I think it helped. Now, but I've got to say, I think women felt uh, the, the, the lockdowns very severely when they were homeschooling, working full time, you know, fam- household chores and things like that. They, they, you know. Very many women would have said to you that they felt they were going backwards in 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 relation to this. So th- that that does not negate the need to do something substantial in relation to childcare. It's one of the big pieces of missing uh, public uh, service in the terms of public services. But it is very much uh, an issue um, uh, that that is a live issue. Um, but I I think they saw pe- people were saying to you saying to you like I can't believe the things that I I didn't prioritize. Yeah, and I've yeah. now discovered what the important things in life are. And some of that was, you know, having time to help out coaching with a child's team or, you know, meet the neighbours or and and even at that it was at a distance.
1: And is that you know? gonna last? I mean sometimes, you know, we There's loads of incidents like that where we all say, my God, I've now seen life and then life kicks back in again and you nearly forget it. It dissolves. Is that the likely outcome?
0: Yeah, my concern is, and we heard this like we've done this before, if you like, in terms of the big disruptor and the crash was the big disruptor. And we said, oh, we're never going to allow the banks to do this and we're never going to do this and we're never going to have, you know, this group think and all the rest. And very quickly. We got back into a lot of things that were very similar to what we did before. We only have to look at housing. Um, and um, which in many ways is worse now than it was pre-crash. Um, but it, you know, we've had this big disruptor. And those big big disruptors bring the opportunity for change. And when you don't take them, then what happens is that change becomes, you know, it, it becomes less than it should be now i completely acknowledge it's not everyone that can work from home it's never not every business type that it works it has to work for the employer and the employee um and i you know i so i completely acknowledge that but i think what was brought forward actually presented it in a very negative way. In actual fact, I think there's an awful lot of positives out of this.
1: This was in relation to Leo Varadkar's 13 points, which would allow an employer to deny the possibility of uh, an employee working from home. But I guess, doesn't it have to be clear? That's, you know, if a, if you have a contract of employment with an employer, and it says specifies that you have to work in a place that that follows, but b, that an employer has to have the chance, and this is me putting on my pinstripe suit here, that the employer does have to have the right to have some control over its workforce. That if it is a guaranteed right, that the, then you know, effectively, all of the power
0: shifts over uh, to the employee. Yeah, but that thirteen, those thirteen points, there were a number of those, and there were pivotal ones. Were so intangible that it would be very difficult. To make an argument against them, but like you would the have the a right to appeal. Of, so, no, and no, no. You would have to be backed and up no, to no, the no, WRC. No. Oh no, no, no. You didn't have a right to appeal. You had to, to uh, a, a right to appeal on the, you know, the basis the, not yeah. the decision itself. Not the refusal itself, but on, you know, how the decision was arrived at.
1: Well, surely the employer so, therefore would have to know that they could be appealed and on that basis they would have to have the appropriate assessment so they could justify it. Yeah,
0: well look at um, 15 months, 12 to 15 months, the WRC at the moment is the length of time it's taken things to get in. Typically when people will go there, you can find uh, employers lawyering up, people feeling an imbalance there. Look, who wants to get into that anyway um the like I just think we need to go back a bit to the drawing board and reframe this in a much more positive way um I think a lot of employers are going to now look and say if I want to retain good people it's not just the the financial package that's offered yeah it's it's also about the flexibility that's offered um and you know I think we're in that kind of environment that Maybe we'll embed it a little bit better. If we were in the converse where people were chasing work, um, yeah. it it may be different. But I think I, I think the framing of this was quite negative.
1: Just um, you mentioned the um, by election was it two thousand and five. Yes, yeah. um, you were standing as an independent mm-hmm. in those days, and Tony Gregory was down on the streets mm-hmm. marching uh, to support you. Do you ever miss those days where you were an independent? didn't have to ha- talk to anyone else in a party, didn't have to wait to justify, didn't have to devise a policy,
0: you could just devise it there and then. Yeah, they, look, there's great freedom in being an independent. There's no doubt about that. Um, but while I was an independent, people were in other parts of the country would say, you know, I'd, I, I would like to have helped you out but I would like to be connected to something bigger that would have been that would have been something i think some of the things that we saw between 2011 and 2016 uh, we felt that there was there was a need for um there was a need for uh, you know a different a fresher political offering if you like yeah. um and that proved to be that proved to be the case, and you've um, done well. I mean, you've yeah, we now have. got
1: six seats. So, but and I guess 20 if
0: councillors, and um, if you yeah. if
1: you want to affect that change, usually it means going into government so that you can then introduce the policies which will make the change. So, who would you like to go into government
0: with, Catherine? Ruffin? Oh, most likely, one most definitely want to go to, into government with. <laughs> (laughs) Parties that are compatible with social democracy that will deliver on the agenda that we think is, um, you know, uh, well, I I think we'll have to look at the policy uh, platforms. It's not that we don't want to go into government. Of course, we want to go into government, but not for the sake of being there, but for the sake of delivering um, in in a social uh, social democratic platform. Look, you can be and I use the analogy of a train. There's no point in being on a train where there's an engine on both ends pulling in the opposite direction. Yeah, like th- th- it has to be compatible where you're broadly going in the same uh, direction. We want to see, for example, uh, you know, the delivery of a really reformed health service. We want housing that is affordable. We want to see issues like, for example, uh, anti-corruption policies, where you you know we stop spending an absolute fortune on. Reviews and tribunals and compensations for things that shouldn't happen. Uh, you know, there, there's you know things like childcare that I that I yeah. uh, talked about earlier. You know, to embed that in as a as part of your your public service offering. Like, if you're going to be asking people to pay their taxes, they have a right to expect those services. And um, they're the kind of things that we would be looking to. If we can deliver on those, um, we would be very enthusiastic about hopefully with a bigger. Number uh, of social democrat TDs yeah. uh, to give us the clout um, uh, to deliver as much as that as possible.
1: Michael Catherine's just listed off the, the types of things she would like to see and on the basis of that going to government. How many parties do you know are representative of those qualities what's that Catherine's just listed political. off there?
2: Any number could accommodate List that. List them off there. It Who do you it? think? Well, I suppose the, the view is, isn't it, that, that Sinn Fein will have a, a major say in the formation of the next government, and it's if if there are other parties who may be looking in that direction to form a government if things go along the lines that are projected in the current opinion poll trends and based on that solely at the moment, but that, that can change too. Uh, and there is a sense, and it's something you do hear from the current government repeatedly, Uh, particularly in recent weeks is that if you put the combined vote of the government parties together at the moment, they do have more than Sinn Féin. So is there a sense, even though it's very early days, uh, and Pascal Donoghue uh, seemed to go in the wrong direction when he probably hinted at it, that the government will ultimately uh, go on a giant platform into the next election and that could make things interesting in the context of whatever coalition post-election talks might take place. I didn't really answer that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a politician there. We go. <laughs> hey, there's a candidate for you now, Catherine. I'll,
1: let the two, I'll leave the studio early. Um, do you ever get tired of that? I suppose as political journalists, we're always looking at the sort of into the mid distance about what might be coming and could be coming. Um, you're trying as much as possible to influence legislation today, here and now. Um, what were you doing today within the door that you feel is going to possibly have an impact
0: Well, I I was mostly in the Public Accounts Committee today, so you're you're looking at how money is spent. You're looking at how it could be done. It could be spent better, and you get a better return on it. Uh, We we had uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland in looking at the the amount of money, for example, that was spent on uh, Metro uh, Metro North and now Metro Link up to now, uh, and it's just short of two hundred and fifty million euros. And I, I suspect that there's people in parts of you know rural Ireland, I think this is partly built at this stage, uh, but not a shovel in the ground yet. Um, Looking at that and looking at how you stop making the same mistakes repeatedly. I think there's useful work done in uh, the sectoral committees, there's useful work done in the Public Accounts Committee in, you know, in... it, trying to get better systems in place um, that you don't repeat the mistakes of the past procurement is one of those uh, National Children's Hospital would have would have come up in that context Yeah,
1: That's quite um, collegiate as well I mean you do see an awful yeah. lot of collaboration cross parties yeah.
2: um, just There a couple was the thi- a way back when, when Michael Noonan was there that the Public Accounts Committee should be even more kind of united and perhaps if it came to it go into the doll and, and vote as a block if they needed to mm-hmm. talk of that seems to have faded over the years do you think that kind of idea of really Strengthening a committee uh, as a standalone unit—is there—is there any appetite for that these days?
0: I don't know if there is or not. Um, and that we, you know, that would put probably the government TDs will be the ones that most under pressure, and I'd acknowledge that there have been, uh, you know. I think it's starting to bed in all right. Uh, to be honest with you, most of the committees, it's abnormal at the moment because you're very short speaking slots. We've 10 minutes to ask questions, have answers. And in fact, there has been a very good attendance at this uh, uh, public accounts committee, which differs from the last one, which was predominantly made up of people who weren't on the government side. Um, and so the Social
2: Protection Committee this week, which would have the government members kind of made their views clear on a united front as well in relation to the pension age do you think that probably would present a difficulty even if government do come back as we think in, in a few months time with a kind of a broad document about changes to the pension age the fact that their own members are clear it should stay at 66 at committee level
0: yeah, look, uh, I think there's been a number of committees that have had that cross-party approach. That has been a genuine co- cross-party approach. Slaunch Care was one of them. Uh, the, I mean, the, the one you reference in relation to social protection and the one on the pensions. These are issues that you do need to get that kind of common ground on. Um, the Eighth Amendment Committee was another committee, um, and I suspect there will be, you know, there will be other committees like that. I think they're the ones that you do pay attention to, mm-hmm. and you pay more attention to them because they, uh, because they're a general, they're a genuine reflection that comes to a consensus, um, and I think that's very useful. Yeah, just a quick, a couple of quick fire questions just before
1: we bring this section of the podcast over. And the usual questions which are always asked, so you've no doubt have got um, uh, really um, fast answers to come back to me. One is the idea of a dual leadership within the Social Democrats. Are you still happy that's logical, makes sense to the voters and
0: works? Look, uh, the only people that ask about it, this are, are the media, to be honest with you. I've never asked about it otherwise. Look, we, we just share the responsibilities. It's Delegation. Not to, it's not to say that that will always continue. For the membership to decide that, yeah. you'll come up at our our, 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 at our our conference. We're due to have a conference before the summer. um, And look... Uh, you know, it, at the time, it, it, at the time we found it, it was quite useful that we could divide ourselves up yeah. um, to to actually take on uh, roles, and in actual fact, we. We sometimes take a different position, but we come to a consensus ourselves. It's very European, um, that's now. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Can I ask you then just also about the question
1: of your interest in politics? Do you still have that interest in politics, which is that if there is an election in a couple of years, you still be saying, absolutely, that's what I want to do and, and I've got hmm. ideas about where I want to go.
0: Yeah, you know, my cohort of friends, you know, even at home, like, even though you try and get away from it, you tend to end up coming <laughs> Gravitate back to, it. Back to and, it. And it's kind of been, it, even my wider... Uh, you know, extended family—that would be the case. You know, so look, it's it's just a central interest in in my life. You know, Um, like if they look, ever
1: say to you, Catherine, for feck's sake, why oh don't yeah. you put your feet up? Oh yeah, relax, they do, like-
0: Yeah, they do. Some of them do. You know, but uh, look, you, you you know, I I take every day as as it comes. Yeah. Um and um, uh but that's not to say you don't look down the road and but it's not that you wouldn't look down the road and you know sketch out what might happen in two or three years' time, but to be honest with you, you really put your energy in, into how you can make a difference, and our focus of attention at the moment is growing the party so as that you could, you know, so as that when it comes to a point, and we don't know that three years' time, it could be sooner than that, when there's a general election, and indeed there's going to be a local election in in 2024, it's to, it's to actually build this up so as that there is a bigger offering, and you know that that's where the focus of attention is. Yeah, and then just one last
1: thing because it's uh, something you're very much associated with the commission of inquiry in relation to the sight serve deal and those issues with IBRC. And um, last time I saw in the though just looking before we came over, the idea was one of the deals cost forty five million, but the actual commission itself could rack up a bill of around seventy million, and we still haven't got any closer to it. What's your sense of us as we stand in twenty twenty two about all of that?
0: Yeah, well, I uh, when it, when we were to discussing this issue and debating this issue in advance and a long time in advance of of that commission being set up. The one thing I said was I didn't want this to go on for years and cost a fortune. Mm. And we haven't got uh, a mechanism that is capable of doing that at is this stage. Is there a mechanism possible? Um, I, I think there would have to be, but this, there has been, for example, that particular commission of investigation is behind closed doors, uh, but there is a very sizable uh, number of uh, uh, lawyers behind the scenes for all of the different entities. You can't have a cohort, and just separate from sites yeah. when you're starting to look at economic issues and where there might be, you know, Uh, you know, those kind of interests, Uh, those kind of inquiries are always going to be difficult but you can't have a situation where you can't hold a cohort of people to account either yeah i um, thought that like if you look at the
1: disclosures tribunal there was an example where some things were done very quickly with the supreme court judge mm-hmm. in, on top of the brief and making sure things moved very quickly so i'm just wondering like for example rosheen Shortall today was one of the signatories to a letter which i think was drafted by aintu in the context of women of honor mm-hmm. and it was calling for you know a, a full independent commission of inquiry to examine this issue mm-hmm very serious issues uh, in relation to sexual abuse and bullying within the defence forces but once again the concern I'd say probably in the public's mind is you know if that objective sounds very serious and very laudable and yet at the same time you're wondering how long is it going to take how much is it going to cost and what's the value going to be at the end yeah, of the road I, I
0: think it has to be very narrow, narrowly focused I think you have to have uh, I think you have to get your terms of reference really Focused and narrow. Uh, if you're going to have an inquiry, the one, the difference with the uh, the one on site serve was there was a bespoke piece of legislation that made it different from the uh, the inquiries as was envis- envisaged under the 2004 Act. Yeah. So I I think that was that was uh, significantly uh, different. I do think uh, like would you regret uh, it? I guess would you regret that? Probably assumption? would have looked for something to be more. Um, Narrowly focused, um, that that would be one of the things. But look, at it. it hasn't reported yet. Uh, um, it's not due to report until this the spring, um, and uh, you know who's to know after that? There could be all sorts of problems with judicial reviews and things. Um, it 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 isn't the way I think. Um, it, it's it's instructive about. Um, it's instructive about how broad you can make these kinds of things. There was, there was, like, there was a whole lot of additional transactions. This is only the first transaction, and any transaction over ten million was to be looked at. I mean, it would go on for, it would go on for a very long time if you were to look at the others. But I think we've got to wait and see what that particular commission of investigate investigation uh, reports. Um, okay. But um, but the key issue here is that um there was um you know the information was within IBRC for example um the inquiry was into IBRC not who not who um raised the issue
1: yeah
0: but into into how the transactions were done and i hope that that's what uh, what we're going to see in in terms of the report that's uh, that's um presented
1: Catherine Murphy, co-leader of the Social Democrats. Thanks very much for coming in to join us this afternoon. It's been a pleasure. Thank
0: you very we'll much. We'll catch
1: you again, no doubt. Um, Mihal, if I can just pick up on that theme. Um, just, we do have a tribunal or a commission of inquiry report. It's been promised a few times. Um, still waiting for it, and it's unclear exactly what's going to come out of it in the end.
2: It is. <laughs> I really. <do. laughs> yeah. It is, and it does show, though, that there is a political sensitivity now, isn't there, and almost a frustration. Uh, when there are calls for further inquiries, and you can see from the government side that this talk that there needs to be discussion about how to proceed with future uh, investigations, and in relation to the women of honour, you can see a real political pressure building there that what the government are proposing at the moment doesn't go far enough. And you would think if it was at this point two or three years ago, that perhaps it would have been a more comprehensive uh, commission that was set up.
1: Yeah, I suppose, and you do get that sense um, from. Minister Simon Coveney, that the judge-appointed review will act quicker and yeah. that will get results and that seems to be one of the driving
2: motivations for it. At um, the same time, though, the Taoiseach repeatedly in the doll this week saying that he hasn't ruled out a yeah. statutory inquiry. So
1: it's only like a prelim.
2: Yes, and you do feel if the political pressure continues to build and, and today you saw many party leaders uh, coming together to write a letter to the Taoiseach uh, saying that there has to be that statutory inquiry uh, that this this will stay and it, they probably will have to go into something far bigger than is being talked about at the moment. It's a, been a strange week. We've had sort of big issues, but those
1: issues have sort of nearly disappeared um, once they've landed. So take, for example, the Leaving Search. Big issue. Tens of thousands of students, hundreds of thousands of their families and relatives all and then suddenly, you know, the next day it was yeah, I thought the
2: Leaving Search day from a political point of view was interesting. It had a feel of a budget afternoon Its government backbenchers kind of walked around Leinster House, uh, checked in with their offices to see how many people were ringing in both there and ringing in their constituents <laughs> The offices to see how this decision was, was going, going down. down, and as the day went on, well, they felt there was a degree of discomfort and a degree of annoyance among many leaving search students. But the feeling was uh, towards the close of business here on Tuesday night that it would be just about palatable, and that seems to be the way uh, things have progressed. And therefore, what was a huge issue and what had been spoken about for months and weeks uh, suddenly was dealt with for the moment at least. I thought that um, the Education Minister, Norma Foley,
1: um, was on point. I thought she, in her, the interviews that she was doing, she had a very clear idea of what she wanted to say, where the limits were. And so to a certain extent, if the government had a good day on dealing with a sticky wicket, um, a lot of it came down to her.
2: Yeah I think there was a focus there that helped by the fact that she said in no other European country uh, was there a change this year because of covid they were returning to what they would normally do in relation to key exams so that seemed to be a help within it as well there was this this view and this this clear illustration that the level of content that would be required to be covered in the exams uh, was reduced and I thought a hint to a very strong hint that seemed to be copper fastened by what we heard at the health committee the following day that those disruptions that still exist and I suppose chief there is masks and children and students wearing masks in schools that that is going to be reviewed over the next 10 days and there seems to be a strong possibility that by the midterm break uh, that that particular rule could be lifted as well so the masks in the classroom may go
1: We've always been saying that once COVID goes, then real politics returns. Just looking towards next week, you know, Taoiseach Micheál Martin is due on this week, I believe, and to do his leaders address this Sunday. Looking towards next week, where do things lie? Are we still going to be talking about cost
2: of living? Yeah, cost of living, and the government will keep the focus on cost of living themselves. I think going into next week, they're talking about that they they will have something to, to offer and something to give, and they'll try and stay ahead of that. At the same time, you see things like health and the health waiting lists uh, becoming to be dominant issues again during leaders' questions, and then housing as well. And you feel that it is around housing, ultimately, uh, that the government is going to face most pressure. And there is a sense now that things like big gatherings, big marches on housing, uh, that they are likely to come, if not in the weeks ahead, well, certainly in the months ahead. And that will be the pressure point.
1: Just one last issue. Another one of those running stories was the question of the Secretary General of the Department of Health and his wage and how much he was earning. I think he's up to now 298000 But the story uh, that was coming out was that he was going to exceed the €300,000 threshold by um, October on account of an ongoing um, pay rise uh, for um, public servants. I mean, this one just seems to have a grip and this one is going to be a running sore.
2: It is, and that will continue. And and the fact then that the the senior civil servant and the minister was in Dubai at at a conference, and ministers and civil servants do have to go to international conferences, but it did become a a point of attack for the opposition, uh, saying that that was the last place they should be at a conference on wellness uh, when things were so unwell in the health system and the immediate aftermath of COVID and those huge waiting lists that are there.
1: And a last, last, last question. Um, Simon Coveney, Foreign Affairs Minister, Defence Minister, um, had a difficult um, few days. But then as the Brexit balloon sort of came back, then it was the Simon Coveney um, we know.
2: Yeah, Simon Coveney's been prominent. He's had wins, he's had losses, he's, he's gone... Through a lot of different experiences in the last week, uh, I think in relation to what happened at his department, there's no doubt that the entire handling of that, uh, in, even though he wasn't there in the aftermath of the Catherine Zapone botched appointment, mm. has damaged him in the eyes of his colleagues and in the eyes of being a future leadership contender, right? and that, that's a fact. Uh, whether uh, his standing in cabinet and how he handles things and if things get tense again in relation to Brexit, at that level, he's, he's probably OK. He's had enough wins this week, whether it's the Richard O'Halloran return or the Russians along, facing down the Russians along with the fishermen. Uh, he, he's OK at cabinet level. It's the future ambition from Simon Coveney's point of view that has been damaged in recent months.
1: Michal RTE's RTE political correspondent, thank you very much for joining us, and also to um, Catherine Murphy, co-leader of the Social Democrats. Um, That's all we have for you on RTE News' Your Politics programme. Please do subscribe, please do leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you, but until next week, take care.